0: Go to quince dot com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred sixty five day returns. How's it going? It's going very well. The sun is shining.
1: It's another lovely um, day.
0: I love the sun. Not a big fan of the hay fever it brings.
1: Yeah, you okay? Do you need a set of tissues for this?
0: No, it's okay. I just I just like, sneeze away for added authenticity. Away. Yeah, <laughs> the day, like, uh, I was on the train home after like my birthday party, and. Dan Nolan got me this copy of the dandy mm-hmm. from the, uh, the week I was born and that's uh, nice. uh, Sarah got me this picture of that picture of Jesus the woman messed up as a print and I was also like had quite bad hay fever, so I was like my eyes were like blood red and I was like reading this copy of the dandy next to this picture <laughs> of Jesus on the train home I was like what kind of figure am I cutting to the stranger who just looks over at me something that's got... made
1: very emotional by a, a child's comic book and, <laughs> yeah, uh, a 28 year old the, the desecration of art
0: yeah but apart from that it's a lovely lovely summer's day you know what i'm a bit bored of though not the sun but the uh jurassic world's Fallen kingdom trailer and they keep they're obviously pushing it hard universal every fucking movie i go to it's like trailed twice maybe there's that bit where like chris pratt and bryce does how to like top rules for not messing with dinosaurs or something. oh god i
1: hate it's so annoying
0: but something that does amuse me is just uh how dumb chris pratt's lines are yeah in the first movie he was like we just went and made a new dinosaur Probably not a good idea and then this one he's like a rescue op save the dinosaurs from the island that's about to explode what, I mean. what could go wrong what do you reckon the next one's gonna be well it depends what Make they're gonna do. dinosaur
1: think. porn what could go wrong <laughs> kiss a dinosaur's teeth put your head into its open mouth and examine its tongue
0: Oh that looks so shit.
1: Yeah, it looks terrible.
0: I find it odd, his sort of lack of a career. It's sort of like, you know, he had the sort of double whammy of um Guardians of the Galaxy in twenty fourteen and then Jurassic World in twenty fifteen. And those were both monster hits and people like Holly was like, We found our leading man and he's made a string of like completely forgettable films, some of which have tanked. And then last year he made Guardians of the Galaxy two and now he's making Jurassic World Two. He's like in this sort of three year loop of like every three years just make sequels <laughs> Sequel to, to his,
1: movie. his his successful movies. Yeah, yeah. Where's Passengers D?
0: That's the real question. Where's Passage? has a sequel-baiting ending.
1: <laughs> it, it is like kind of interesting how much um, Hollywood has uh, chewed up and uh, spat out Chris Pratt. Yeah. They were so happy to have this new, charming, handsome guy who everyone liked, and they just discovered that when they made him sexy, no longer became interesting. At least they haven't written good roles for him. No, it's so true. It is rather sad. Yeah, I mean, the problem with Jurassic World, I think, is that because the first movie was bad, but it made a shit ton of money. It's like one of the highest grossing movies of recent years. So they not—they don't have any incentive to correct the, the flaws in the original movie for the sequel. So it's just going to double down on it and presumably be equally bad.
0: But Jeff Goldblum's in it, hey? Delivering his famous line. He
1: says, life finds a way again. Yeah. But you've seen that in another film that's better than this one. And now, now you get to see it coming out of Goldblum's, you know, older head
0: i'm like totally bored of fan service but if there's a bit in the movie where he gets wounded and spends the rest of the movie just like like semi-naked on like a rock that would be good but he's just like 20 years old or whatever he is now 30 years i guess yeah yeah
1: that would actually be really good (laughs) that's the the only piece of fan service that i want to see
0: anyway uh sam i've just suddenly had a bout of amnesia why am i here why are there microphones what are we doing what's going on Is this a podcast? And if it's a podcast, what's it about?
1: Let me explain it all to you, Danny, to correct that problem. This is a podcast all about an android called Daniel Moran, who is designed as a military killing machine. He is sent to Central America by General Samuel Foster to battle guerrilla insurgents, but a flaw develops in his programming, and he develops a conscience and becomes compassionate. His developers try to take him back for deprogramming, but he flees to the jungle in a helicopter. His main energy supply was damaged during the first mission, forcing him to switch to his much less powerful secondary power. He joins a small village community that is under constant threat from guerrilla attackers, and he protects them in exchange for use of their electric generator, which was previously used to power a television. There he learns to bluff from a child, called Miguel, who befriends him. These bluffing skills might become handy if Daniel has to fight an advanced version of himself at some point in the future. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 1996 film Solo, starring Mario Van Peebles and Adrian Brody. Instead, it's just a podcast about films and stuff. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a man who is very obviously ripping off both Terminator films, Commando and the Rambo series, and also stealing the title of a film to be made 20 years in the future about Han Solo. The utterly shameless Tony Moran
0: Sorry, sorry, I'm filled with shame Sorry about that It's Art House Sandwich Week on Film Chat As we review two serious, important films And one totally expendable piece of corporate pantyhose First off, I'll be tackling Zama, my favourite new drama Featuring a llama And then we'll be reviewing Solo And wondering why it was a no-go At least according to Box Office Mojo And then I'll be weighing in on animation The Breadwinner About a family that becomes thinner when they struggle to buy dinner.
1: (laughs) Great. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Zeus. Yeah, very
0: effective. Plus, news about a new installment in the franchise nobody's bored with, Star Wars, and a discussion of a franchise that doesn't even exist. (laughs) The F C books. All of which should leave me just enough time to do a few more rhymes. It's not a crime.
1: Oh no, this is becoming it was good at the beginning but now
0: oh well, fuck you do you see me insulting your like bits halfway through <laughs> you doing them
1: no no c- c- sorry complete no, that, it that was it okay it <laughs> was at the end yeah <laughs> alright sorry about that wow 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 shame on you I'm gonna be editing this podcast moving those <laughs> wows to a time when they seem really sincere I'll just be increasing I'll be turning up the pitch on them so it's just more like wow 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 makes you sound really supportive of me um, <laughs> <laughs> please do that <laughs> James Andrews got in touch with us by a tweet that we have not interacted with or responded to several days old now. It's not a problem with, you know, I think our social media game could probably use some work to be honest. Yeah. Like if the gurus are probably like, you know, you've got to be posting every day, you've got to be replying to people who get in touch with you very promptly and, you know, but we yeah, don't yeah. do that. We don't do that. We don't tweet enough and we don't, we don't interact with our listeners. It's very bad. Anyway, James, sorry about that. We're interacting with you now. Like a week plus later probably by the time you're hearing this he says at film chat podcast when are we going to see sherlock gnomes i think he may, like there's two ways to interpret this tweet the first way is that he is inquiring about the film that just came out sherlock gnomes and he's like what well, let's arrange time for us all to go see it the other way is that he's not aware that that film exists and he's just like when are we going to see sherlock gnomes like as a concept you yeah. know, in which case the answer is like, it's, when your, are lucky, we it's see your lucky, it's your lucky day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in which case I gotta say, you know, it's you're in luck you're because in luck. It, it's it exists. Out. It's actually out. It's in cinemas right now.
0: Yeah, Elton John produces it, right? Does he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's involved.
1: He's involved in the... He's in like an the...
0: executive producer. Right. In the, sh- the Sherlock franchise. And what does no, he... The known franchise, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's the important part of that. Pun is the knowns bit. Not the Sherlock bit.
1: Um, and what does he bring to the table? His financial abilities? Does he, does he write songs for them? Or does he just... Did he, like, uh, conceptually come up with some of it?
0: The only reason I noticed is because Garth Jennings told the story about having to license I'm Still Standing for that movie Sing. Yeah. And previously, the only time... Like he'd already licensed it for one of these gnome movies mm-hmm. and he thought it'd be hard to get because maybe Ellen John like only give there's only one CGI animation franchise I give my songs to and it's the one I sort of am involved with. You're gonna need eventually. to
1: put a few few more gnomes in this Sing film if you want <laughs> exactly. to play my music.
0: So I don't know, I think he maybe has a voice cameo in it and stuff. There's two there's room. there's Nomeo and Juliet. Yeah. And there's like another one, isn't
1: it? I thought this is the this is the other one, isn't it? I Sherlock like Gnomes, or is there another one in the middle?
0: I swear there's like another. Um
1: uh, John Gnomes. It's like a born one.
0: Under the Gnomes. It's like a sci fi Stephen
1: King. <laughs> gnomeo Must Die.
0: Yeah, Gnomeo Must Die. yeah. <laughs> I saw uh-huh. the trailer when uh, I went to see Coco. For Sherlock Gnomes. Yeah, it was a bit where there was like an old gnome in a kind of mankini, mm-hmm. sort of gyrating his ass, doing a bit of twerking. Pretty funny. I don't know if that teaches kids how to be groomed by pedos or something. Maybe. What, like the
1: show, like every child's movie is in danger of doing this now.
0: It's too much sexually explicit jokes in a. Uh,
1: I think it's all the baby stuff. bums that were in The Boss Baby. Yeah. That's like had a malign influence on uh, the, chi- children's yeah, animated output. children Children's
0: animation is just rifled with pedos. It's just, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just brainwashed the kids into yeah, being susceptible to, to abuse.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so when are we going to go and see uh, Sherlock names down? Uh
0: What are you doing tomorrow? Saturday?
1: Yeah, no plans, mate.
0: Cool, let's go see it.
1: Uh, James, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow, mate? Uh, let me just... I'm also free Sunday. Okay, cool. I'm just like going to Google the show times here. So, uh, let's have a look, see, tomorrow. Um, oh, we... Wow, there's loads of places we can see Sherlock Names. we got our pick here, man. Do you want to see Sherlock Names in a kind of um, premium, prestige, yes. yeah. five-star hotel style um, experience? What's the most
0: expensive tickets we can buy?
1: I think... I don't know if you're going to get more expensive than the Everyman in Canary Wharf. It's like eighteen quid or something like that for a ticket. Is there a
0: D box showing of
1: Sherlock Gnomes? <laughs> <laughs> is that like the sort of uh, the shaky seats. yeah, the shaky seats and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Do they do, how do, would they have those at the O two? I
0: think so. They have them somewhere, right? Like yeah, they have them somewhere. Every right? every every How's every the...
1: time he like solves a clue, it sprays water in your face. I don't know that how yeah. that works, but <laughs> sure. Maybe it's like Sherlock Gnomes is addicted to heroin, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. and uh you have to hook yourself up to an iv drip uh which is normally just saline or something while you while you're in the <laughs> while you're in the cinema but then like um when he takes a hit of the drug he's addicted to it sort of pumps you full of morphine and, you... <laughs> and just, the rest of it is great <laughs> and it really improves the cinema score <laughs> 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 it's very effective um we haven't, no one else has said anything to us this week except this query about going to see Sherlock Gnomes.
0: I was a bit annoyed that some of my, reason I'm not tweeting as much I feel is that I'm posting a lot of funny tweets, at least I think so, and I'm not getting the likes. That Are you not? I, think they deserve. I
1: haven't, I haven't, I think i probably missed some of these. I
0: tweeted that Jonah Hex was the best comic book movie uh, Josh Brolin has ever been in. <laughs> Don't at me.
1: <laughs> and And they didn't.
0: They didn't. I know, and one, maybe it was successful. But you
1: actually did. You actually did want them to at you. Uh,
0: you know, it's just that's me all over, you know. It's just a cry for help.
1: Oh, here's one thing that I wanted to bring up. So um, Film Chat Quest, to track down that issue of Empire Magazine, where Kenneth Branagh tells the story of um, being a little boy and being inspired by the Thor comic, before yeah. he got to then direct the Thor movie, you know, years later. So we don't know what issue of Empire this story was in. And I bought an issue on eBay, which was the Thor issue, thinking that was a natural way, one for it to be in. But it wasn't in that. They just had a set visit. And he doesn't, you know, because it's in a natural piece written by Kenneth Branner. So that was a shame. Um, and then I decided to add some of the staff of Empire Magazine. I added the um, I, Empire Magazine itself and Chris Hewitt and Nick DeSemlin uh, demanding to know um, <laughs> <laughs> which issue features Kenneth Branner writing about um thor um i said i'm willing to add every person who writes for empire until this mystery can be resolved help nick to samlin and then we got replies from both chris and nick it was quite late at night um i had been hitting the source pretty hard it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty drunk I was pretty drunk you know it's was just wasted doing the most natural thing asking about this old issue of empire um nick replied in a slightly sort of cold and irritable tone in my that's how i my interpretation of it he says i can let you know in the morning i was like that was that's what he said i was like oh that would be amazing you know then i felt a bit bad i was like because i wasn't really expecting a response immediately i was just kind of yeah. tossing it out there so i said oh thank you very much um and he said it's okay i was actually looking at that piece only a few weeks ago no fucking follow-up from mr de Salmon after that what the hell
0: that's ridiculous.
1: We also got a sponsor in Chris here. He said, Absolutely no idea. Issue 300, maybe? Uh, to which I replied, Thanks. We've been recalling Branner's Dickens meets the Simpsons Thor based childhood exploits for years, and the original text is now on Moby Dick. Is nothing. Is <laughs> a no, no, Fucking nothing. And now I have to buy issue 300 on eBay unless you still have that knocking about. Yeah. And you chucked out all your old your back? A
0: lot of them. I think I might have left it at Jake's house. All right. It might be at. But I think he's moved. <laughs>
1: Jake, this is on you, man.
0: Because I remember like reading it in the morning.
1: What just, that like, specific issue?
0: Yeah, like because I remember you were both there, and I just like was like creasing up with this like kind of ridiculously sort of, like flowery like roasted view of his childhood. Of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day go to the tuck shop or something and spend like, a, a, a halfpenny piece on some like lemon, lemon bl- sherbet, lemon sherbet or something. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. But one day his eyes were transfixed by the image of a man with a large. Uh- <laughs> Sorry. The image of a man with a large hammer and beautiful gold hair. Needless to say, I didn't have any lemon show with that day. <laughs> His love affair with Thor began. It all sounded a bit like bullshit. And I think that's often the way with these directors where they all have to pretend they've read, like, issue one. And they were, like, always a massive fan of whatever obscure comic book characters being adapted this week. And yeah. like, clearly you just, like, got the gig and it's a massive career boost for you.
1: Yeah, although I saw some uh, Josh Brolin interviews about Deadpool and uh, Avengers where he was candid about having no relationship or understanding of these characters whatsoever. He's just like, yeah, I, you know, I just uh, was like, okay, I'll just do this. I don't know. And I did it. And the fans seemed to care a lot, but whatever. So, that's, <laughs> so you know, that's nice, a see nice, to a a bit how the his honesty. Is, right? Exactly. You'd never know watching them. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out M. Chamberlain's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print Fantasy author Ursula Le Guin, much loved, who died earlier this year in January um, She is going to see some of her, well she's not going to see it She's not going to see it, mate. Not she's, here to see it.
0: I don't know if you remember that sentence you just said, but she's scared.
1: <laughs> but uh, from heaven, she will perhaps see um, her work returning to the screen. It was uh, Tales from Earthsea, which is probably like the series that she's best known for, right? The Earthsea novels. Yeah, there's, sort of there's fantasy novels. a series
0: of five. They came out in, the, I think the first installment was in the 60s, and then... Uh, she wrote a quartet and then I think she made it into a quintet in the noughties and right. kind of returned to it but it was I think it's considered up there with one of the great fantasy landscapes with like Lord of the Rings or you know Middle Earth there's the Earthsea. there's George R. R. Martin and I'm not enough of a nerd
1: to name anyone <laughs> all the
0: rest I don't know don't um, look at me I'm too busy boning chicks and you know blazing rocks or whatever
1: yes anyway <laughs> <laughs> um The rights to the Ursy novels have been secured by Jennifer Fox, who is the producer of movies such as Michael Clayton and Nightcrawler, and I guess she's going to have a much bigger budget now.
0: Uh, (laughs) They tap this fantasy drama into a dark,
1: urban landscape (laughs) with moody lighting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, something like that. Um, Yes, the series, this is on Empire Online, the series comprises five novels and eight short stories set in a vast archipelago of islands in an uncharted ocean. A world of magic and marvels. The emphasis is on us understanding nature and each other, not trying to grab power over them. Danny, I know that you are a Le Guin fan. Yes, I he- read
0: the first two of the Earthsea Quintet.
1: Are you Are you excited by the prospects of a live-action adaptation? There was this Ghibli one. They, the studio, studio Ghibli made an animated version of Tales yeah. from Earthsea in 2006. I've
0: not but. seen that. I've seen a bit of the 2004 TV adaptation, which was terrible and... Ursley uh, when blasted for whitewashing the main character ged also known as sparrowhawk the wizard sparrowhawk who cool, is you got to have two cool names two badass fantasy. names uh who's written as black in the books but i think it was, it was one of those things where like the cover from the 60s you had no you would have no idea what the race of the character is um but yeah it's exciting to have a fantasy series where it, it is diverse because so much of fantasy feels like it's just drawn from medieval history or European history. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's very white white. Yeah. But it's also a fantasy with diversity which isn't about race as a thing. You know, the her his colour of his skin is somewhat arbitrary well not arbitrary. She like it was deliberately black because she was a cool kind of right on uh, yeah, civil rights supporting sixties cool hippie. Um, but the sort of uh, colour of skin doesn't really play a part in... It's not like the, about racial
1: bias or something.
0: No, it's mainly about dragons and that, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the first book is very episodic, so they have to streamline it a lot. But he's got a cool arc. He's a young, brash guy, and he learns, you know, the areas of his ways and becomes super wise and zen-like. Lovely.
1: What a classic, classic. Classic arc. Classic. Haven't seen that. have not yeah. seen that one before.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, all for it. It feels like post Lord of the Rings, just maybe Game of Thrones as well. Fantasy used to be the sort of sort of thing of a good fantasy movie, which isn't tongue in cheek at all. It's like Lord of the Rings did fantasy like with such uh, seriousness, seriousness. And it's like, oh, this does work. And uh, Game of Thrones is like doubled down on that. And so the prospect of just another really good fantasy movie yeah well
1: after after Lord of the Rings um, the success of that there was a kind of spate of attempts to do high fantasy there was like a Dungeons and Dragons movie and then like there was Aragon, and yeah yeah various things like that 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 never really made it off the ground It kind of demonstrated how hard it is to do this stuff on in the big screen context without it just seeming you know laughable or silly or like hokey Um, so it would be quite exciting to see like this done well yeah absolutely and I think
0: like um, Game of Thrones Lord of the Rings the world is very warped well thought out, like everyone just feels like some guys like a dragon and some swords and whatever, and yeah, same yeah, with Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. It's all a bit vague, whereas the world of Ursi is very well plotted and all the political machinations and different. War is infections. it? Is it kind of does Does
1: it have that element? You know, the kind of like factional disputes and whatnot.
0: Yeah, there's a lot about fishing rights and stuff. I think, or like, is
1: there a trade federation? Got an yeah, embargo in there?
0: Yeah, there's a embargo and there's like uh, there's a pod some... race. I believe <laughs> at one point. <laughs> Lucas. Lucas yes, talking of George Lucas what would you say his most iconic character is
1: Boba Fett there's no doubt mate it's Boba Fett it's obviously Boba Fett
0: and who would you say is the best director currently Mangold working?
1: Mangold James Mangold it's James Mangold
0: oh mate it's fucking Christmas for you because what James Why? Mangold Why? apparently has been tapped to so you write and direct a spin off no. about the Boba Fett are you Fett kidding character me are you serious what and the new Star Wars story is gonna be like a Boba Fett uh, fucking movie origin movie damn
1: unbelievable after those answers I gave off the top of my head, <laughs> shocking.
0: I guess it can't be an origin movie because we saw his origins in uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah,
1: not an origin movie. I've seen him like clutching his dad's severed head and stuff. <laughs> that just, that, that, that was epic fucking film.
0: brutal. Actually, that's quite funny. I
1: think. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he cuts off his dad's head. He takes up his head. Takes up his head. Sort of like presses it to his own forehead. Like, oh, dad, bye. Yeah, and then um, turns out all the stormtroopers are clones of him. Very strange. Yeah, Sur- surprising twist that one
0: a lot of questions this movie throws up first of all does anyone want to see this film surely after Solo which as well, we'll discuss has had a very lukewarm box office reception mm-hmm. like, we've got to actually consider what you know we can't obviously we thought we could just put Star Wars on something and make money uh, but now it doesn't seem to be the case here's and the, what is the demand for a Boba Fett movie
1: here's the case I would make for a. Uh, is it Boba or Boba 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 sounds like his nickname <laughs> or sounds like one Australian would call him like <laughs> well, Boba
0: well he is sort of Australia- he's a Kiwi, the actor, Tamara Morrison of Jago
1: Fit. Yeah, so he probably does call himself Bobba. Yeah, Boba Fit. Hey Bobba. Boba Fit. Yeah, so my the case I would make for this is that because he's such an extraneous character with absolutely nothing to him whatsoever, it does at least give you a bit of a blank canvas. I mean and like what I wouldn't want him to do is draw on all sorts of like extended universe uh bobber novels. Um that those probably exist. <laughs> uh and it's so do- definitely
0: boba the more I think about it. well let's call him Bobba. Let's call Boba. <laughs> yeah, Boba.
1: <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> fit um <laughs> and uh and like try to cram in loads of like references or like fan service and stuff because he's obviously he's a very familiar character visually, but there's absolutely nothing going on with him beyond that you know like in in the original <laughs> movies. What does he do? He just sort of crops up in the third. Crops in up in Empire Strikes, the, Strikes Empire Strikes Back Strikes Back, right,
0: yeah. Gets out of Frozen and then he dies in Return of the Jedi yeah. by the Sarlacc Pit. That's so right, yeah. It's quite funny to have a spin of a character where you've seen him as a kid and you've seen his death. <laughs> <laughs> but the middle section's a bit vague. What do you get up to?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's probably some cool stuff going in the middle. But like, one of the things that hampers the solo movie as we will maybe discuss later is that there's constant all like references and nods and stuff to like here's the origin of this part of the Han Solo mythos um and the Boba Fett movie probably wouldn't have to do that and it can just do anything like is he even associated with any other characters like do we need to explain how he got his jetpack or something like
0: no, he's already got a jetpack. It's just his dad's jetpack.
1: He's got his dad's jet. So we know that. We know they've that. All, they've
0: all. Been, it's all been set up. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's all. They it's already. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. So they can't like hint towards the future. He's already.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of like you know, all, all you really need to do is write a story about a cool bounty hunter, and that's it, right? It's just set in the Star Wars universe, and other that you can do whatever you like. So there's the scope for it to be a shit film or a good film.
0: But James Mangle's directing it so yeah so that is how that, big is that scope
1: that is potentially potentially unfortunate um
0: given that they've the um, Rogue One and Solo both had massive reshoots to fix tone problems and James Mangle is like rebranded himself as the most serious Cormac McCarthy as <laughs> director <laughs> I love the idea that he'll deliver this like boring as hell like elegiac you know yeah who, yeah like, Cormac McCarthy in space movie then the st- they have to just reshoot all of it like, yeah
1: it's like R-rated horrifically bloody yeah, yeah. Uh, Bobba is always like saying, saying fucking cunts and stuff <laughs> he's always saying it's not a fucking
0: movie okay this is real life or yeah something. exactly
1: exactly yeah I mean it's a bit weird that they hired him in a way or is there like is that their thing now? They just hire directors only like that they know they're going to fire later on and bring on someone boring.
0: Yeah, if you're a director of a certain clout, you either have to, you either do a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. Yeah. that's Ka- just
1: the rules. Kathleen Kennedy is like, I've got a great plan for this. All right, we're going to have Magold on until seventy percent of the way through shooting, <laughs> and then we're going to fire him and get Tom Hooper to finish it off. <laughs> but like completely reshoot the film as something that's incredibly bland. It's going to be
0: the biggest hit yet. I can't wait. Kathleen's looking forward to this one.
1: It's <laughs> my impression of Kathleen Kennedy.
0: Cigar-jumping producer. <laughs> yeah, with Weinstein gone, she's really filmed that role as the go-to sort of stereotypical producer.
1: Yes, exactly. But
0: what about the rape charges?
1: Slow news week this week, listeners. Just uh, yeah, feel like we should admit that. We struggle a little bit to find cool stuff to talk about. Got a little Boba, Boba Fitz chat in there. Boba Fitz. <laughs> right? But other than that, there wasn't really much happening. Oh, I'm a dead dod. But he you're, you're, you're his s
0: But head cut off by this black with a paper <laughs> <lot saber. laughs>
1: You're stuck with the format that you create early on. There is to be no switching that up. And we've yeah, got a yeah. news segment and we've got to spend twenty minutes talking in it. That's yeah. just how these things work. Exactly. Sorry. And as I as I say at the end of every section, sorry. <laughs> And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it we poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Zama me.
0: You want to hear something about this movie, Zama? Want to hear some thoughts on that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. What Z- is it? What's this? <laughs>
1: Zama. So weird. What does that even mean?
0: Um. So Zama, this is one of the many movies I saw at the London Film Festival, which has just made it to UK shores again. I say that as if it was at the London <laughs> in the UK. He <laughs> left, left the UK, now it's Sailed back. Sailed dead. Um, and it's very good. It's directed and written by Lucretia Martel and based on the book of the same name by Antonio Di Benedetto. It's a 1956 novel all about this guy called Zama. He's an officer of the Spanish crown He's uh, born in South America and waits for a letter from the king granting him a transfer from the town he's in in uh, Paraguay. Paraguay. Paraguay?
1: Paraguay? Paraguay? Yeah, Paraguay. I think so.
0: Okay. Every time there's like one extra letter, my brain just <laughs> cannot handle it. Yeah. Um, stand in Paraguay where he is basically just sort of stagnating. He's like got nothing to do apart from swan about and his ridiculous uh, Spanish conquistador guard when 100 degrees and he just wants to go join his family. And to do so, he's forced to um, basically suck up to a series of governors and they come and go and he's always left behind. And as the years go by and the letter from the king never arrives, Zama starts to lose a bit of hope and then he uh, joins a party of soldiers that are going after a dangerous bandit. That's the whole plot. It's like two hours long. And uh, I think a testament to the movie's success is that it works at all because there's a film about somebody... Not doing anything, really, and all about uh somebody basically losing their mind a little bit, and there's a I feel like just the fact that it works at all is a testament to Lucretia Martel's talent. I'd never heard of her before, shamefully, apparently shes like one of the greatest working filmmakers hadn't made a movie in ages, but her three previous films are all great, some sort of like Lim Ramsey esque story where there's this massive gap between her movies, and now I'm thinking I should go see all of them um I think the film is very clearly a critique of colonialism and the character of zymer is a sort of proud self-pitying and kind of cruel person and he's a bit of the empire incarnate and uh it's a very cinematic film it's full of lush visuals and it kind of has to be because there's so little going on the movie has to work extra hard in a lot of different departments because the plot is moving very slowly um but it's quite a bit of a cliche but there's a real hum to life everything it's so like lush the sound effects there's always like uh animals in every shot and it also suggests this kind of colonial grip like loosening slightly in the islands where they've gone there and a part of this way of life but they can't quite maintain it because life finds a way as <laughs> jeff goldman would say and uh this also leads to a lot of humor as i've referenced in my opening uh opening intro <laughs> there's like this great scene where they're having a very serious conversation and this sort of llama wanders into the background and your fingers will wander out but he wanders like right up to this guy <laughs> like sniffs his hat and wanders out and there's a lot of that kind of absurdity yeah, in the, the movie the, the,
1: the, there's a, like, a lot of cutaways to the llama he look, like, turns <laughs> looks, looks to camera do well, you believe a, these guys
0: do you remember that Mitch and Webb sketch about the linden tree and like the Victorians and like the uh, mm. American like gives him this tree and then like uh uh david mitchell's like i'm it's i'm boiling in these victorian clothes my huge victorian beard you wanted this victoria and how ridiculous it is that they're dressing this way yeah it's definitely got like a lot of that and kind of pokes fun at how stupid it is to like why just wear a t-shirt you know man it's (laughs) it's an island but at the same time it doesn't lose sight of how like cruel the colonialism is and the way the indigenous population are treated and they're like they're always somewhere in the frame there are these uh fact, to be like slaves and uh zama is never particularly likable he's like i mean he's kind of amusing because he's so full of self-pity but like he is a a picture of ridicule in the movie and uh you feel like you know louvercruciant martel's got a good handle on the material and then it's sort of I mean, this is the only reference point I know for something absurdist and existential, but it's a bit like a Beckett play, I think. I don't know if that's just the go-to comparison where nothing's really happening, and it's a bit stupid, but it's a bit like that for the first half. And it's also reminded me a bit of Barry Lyndon, in that it's a bit of a sort of comedy of manners. There's like all these uh, sort of well-to-do Spanish people, and who's shagging who, and who's in love with who, and there's a bit of that in it. And then the second half, with this sort of hunt for this prisoner, it goes into this sort of uh, kind of crazy Joseph Conrad, heart of darkness, journey into nothingness sort of uh, thing. And, yeah, I was really won over it. By I saw it slightly uh, sleepily on a, like, m- morning, on a Wednesday, the worst day to see a movie, <laughs> like, nine in the morning. And it's, like, it's quite difficult. It's not very accessible. Like, you know, when you start watching, it's like, is this, like, I was like, this can be worth my time. But by the end, I'm like, this movie is fucking brilliant. This was worth my time. This I can say this movie is worth your time. No, just in that it's not immediately obvious what the director is doing.
1: Yeah, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? When yeah, exactly. you know, it unfolds and you're like, I get it.
0: But uh, yeah, so I'm going to go see it again. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd mm-hmm. recommend you to go see it so we can have a discussion about it.
1: I will check it out. Sounds very good.
0: It is very, very good. Cool. It's, I would describe it as very, very good. young
1: handsome, so low, twenty-something so low A spunky, mocky boy, a, a geezer, geezer with a blaster That's him you
0: know what I mean? It makes perfect sense
1: Solo, a Star Wars story that's the latest film to come out in this Star Wars universe. Uh, it's kind of them to put Star Wars in the title, in case you weren't you sure what's going on. Was Rogue One called Rogue One, a Star Wars story? I believe so. Right, okay. So we've got another Star Wars story here. Um, this is the origin story of Han Solo. He is being played by Alden Ehrenreich, uh, and it's got an all-star cast. Woody Harrelson, Emilia Clarke, Donald Glover, many of your favorite actors. Um, it was initially in this well-known... Uh, dramatic production history um it was initially being directed by phil lord and chris miller the directors of the lego movie and the 2120 jump street and so on and a long long way into production (laughs) a long long time ago uh in a production set far far away um they they got fired their uh, cuts their approach was not suiting the material um they were doing too much improv or something like that and it just wasn't working out um and they got kicked off and were replaced at the last minute by Ron Howard, and massive reshoots were scheduled, and apparently about up to 70% of the movie has been reshot. So there's this, like, 30% of the film, like, from this um, film, which is presumably, like, you know, completely different or something. Maybe it's, like, those were the straightest shots or, like, the blandest ones or whatever.
0: Yeah, just all the establishing shots were Lord and Miller. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and so it's very hard for this not to weigh over the, the movie a little bit because... Um, uh, they have such different sensibilities. Lord and Miller being these like very comic and anarchic uh, directors um, who are known for like very sort of like surprising and funny films. Um, and Ron Howard being a very sort of generic safe pair of hands type guy. So it begins on the shipbuilding world of Corellia, which is where Han is from, and he wants to uh, become a pilot and explore space. Um, and he sort of gets to do so uh, relatively soon into the film uh, and, um, you know, sort of becomes a roguish adventurer. I mean, it's like, it's kind of an episodic plot that goes to various different places. Comes a roguish
0: adventurer, kind of falls in Woody Harrison's
1: gang. Yeah, he falls in with a gang and then they have to, they end up having to like... They have do to do the castle run. S- they've got to do the castle run. There's a, it turns to a kind of heist movie where they've got to um, retrieve some um, MacGuffin substance called coaxium here is a clip from the uh, castle run sequence they're in the millennium falcon chewie's there um, hans there lando's there i believe in that point sounds like lando's
0: there and Amelia clark's there playing his love interest kira
1: yes um they're all there and all uh, there. they're having a little bit of exciting uh, space banter we need to divert auxiliary power to the weird deflector shield we definitely do When do you know how to fly? (laughs) 190 years old? (laughs) You look great. Chewie, get in. I'll help (laughs) Anders. So the general reaction to this has been sort of positive. Like, I think it's got about 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, this film. Uh, But it has been a bit of a box office flop. Like, people kind of... I think people were surprised by how well the whole thing hangs together, given that they're expecting some sort of utter disaster because of how tumultuous the production process was. Um, And instead, they were surprised to see a film that sort of, you know, goes along at a fairly um, regular pace and is kind of enjoyable and uh so like ah, oh, this is this one wasn't bad uh but audiences do not seem to have taken to it um and it's uh done particularly badly um and one of the things that people are saying um about this like the reason for it is uh that maybe this is a case of franchise fatigue the the most recent star wars film was only in december and they were previously on like an annual schedule of star wars movies um and then instead they released one just a few months uh after the last jedi um, and I kind of, the way I interpret franchise fatigue is basically meaning that it can't just like coast along brand recognition. Um, I mean, there is no like law whereby people get sick of movies set in a certain universe if you release them too quickly, one after the other, as you can see from the Marvel movies. I mean, uh, Black Panther's movie came out and then he immediately appeared again in a film like just that came out just a few months later. Um, and the same thing happened with Thor. He also appeared a few months later in Avengers: Infinity War, and those movies made like all the money in the world. Yeah, Iron um,
0: Man's been Iron Man movie like every year for like four years. Yes, right? yeah,
1: exactly. You can't keep that guy off the fucking screens. He's like, yeah, that's true, right? From, pretty much. Like
0: it was an Age of Ultron, and then Civil War, and then Spider-Man: Homecoming,
1: and, and then Infinity War. Yeah, every
0: year for past four years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so um, I don't think that there's anything like necessary about like franchise fatigue, but it basically means that. Uh, people aren't desperate to just see any film that has that branding on it and you know the film has to carry itself under its own merits a little bit better and the basic problem with Solo a Star Wars story uh, is that it never overcomes the like essential disposability of this tale there's no real reason there's no like great um, sort of story gap that needs to be filled by the tales of what he was up to prior to the events of A New Hope Um, and he has a satisfying kind of arc in that film you know, from being this the cynical rogue to in, in, the selfless hero at the end. Yeah. Um, and therefore a story about like, you know, how did, he, how did he get so cynical or like how did he get his ship or whatever? It has to be justified why that would be interesting. And I think this never really overcomes the sense that it's like, um, uh, well, what people, people would say, things like fan fiction. I mean, it's another term that I feel is like maybe a bit imprecise, but it kind of hints towards this idea that you are just kind of, um, filling in some trivia and just giving a bit of extra detail on something that no one really asked for but it might be of great interest to like you know <laughs> someone who's like filling out their law book or something yeah 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 um one uh a.o scott's review described it as like a filmed wikipedia page that's and not I, untrue yeah and i can i can kind of see that and it's not like it's not an unpleasant experience to watch it and i kind of enjoyed it throughout um but after it after it ends it's a bit like okay that was a that has to have happened it's like a bit low stakes and uh yeah, I yeah think it's just the thing's a
0: bit flat yeah like both um you guys, as you're saying like in terms of the low stakes but I mean like any nothing really lands like dramatically or there's some comedy moments which nothing's that funny nothing's that exciting yeah. it's all a bit tepid and I think even like visually it feels a bit flat I don't know if that's because of the reshoots. There's something a bit televisual, I think, especially towards the end where it takes place in a series of cheaper and cheaper locations. It feels mm-hmm. like they like blew all their money in the first half of the movie. So yeah, there's yeah. the yeah. Lord and the Miller half, and then Ron Howard's like, you have one room and Paul Bettany make it work. I, I think it's the worst one of the recent Star Wars movies, and because it's the safest and yeah, at least probably. with like Rogue One, you don't know how you know. Spoiler alert! Can we talk about Rogue One? But like, you didn't know what was going to happen to the characters. They all died. Yeah. You know, and that gives it something. And also Gareth Edwards is really good at shooting scale. Maybe well, I, best
1: I, well I, I I rewatched the trailer for Rogue One after seeing Solo. And it's like, that's a striking looking movie. Like That is a cool looking film. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautifully photographed film. And it has a, a like a strong kind of visual imprint. Um, and it does basically, you know, it looks like it's got a real kind of sense of vision to it. And it's very sort of Star Warsy, but also grand in a modern way. And he really nailed it, and I think maybe this this movie shows how hard it is to do what he did, because yeah, this feels vaguely like it was made on, you know, Star Wars-y looking sets, but it doesn't have any of the sense of, like, visual splendor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think just the general like, plot mechanics are a bit fuzzy, like...
1: I don't. It's not, it's not clear why I'm supposed to care about, like, where this is going or what, you know, what's happening. It's all a bit, like...
0: But it feels like it's got, like, a sort of set of ideas that re- repeat, repeats a lot in the movie, like, uh... It's sort of like oh, Woody Harrison's like his mental like friend character. No, actually, it's Chewbacca who's his friend character. No, it's his ex girlfriend who's the thing. No, it's Lando. And then uh, he's got a lot of buddies. He's got a lot of buddies. And sort of Woody Harrison's arc and Lando Coruscant's arc is like what they do in the movie is identical. Uh, like you know, Woody, like four things happen to Woody Harrison, and then four things happen, and then the, to Lando Coruscant, and the same thing. And yeah, it's a bit kind of sexist the movie. There's a lot of female deaths, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of betrayal, uh, especially the Phoebe Waller-Bridge robot character. Her whole plotline doesn't... It's very strange. Very very,
1: very, very strange what they do with her.
0: Um. Yeah, and I was just... You know, I don't care enough to really analyse this kind of stuff, but no, it just felt yeah. like... They seeming that like they reshot it to like make sure they got the nailed the tone of the script. I was like I thought the script was some sort of, like, you know, holy bible of like perfect precision engineered, you know, blockbuster entertainment. I was like, No, 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 the script, the good thing with the improvising because
1: the script was Well exactly. There's nothing much going on in the script. So the yeah. script is by Lawrence Kasdan and his son, Jonathan, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, or Larry or something. I don't know. No, he's no, Larry. he's Larry. <laughs> Whatever. There's two cow stands. Father and son partnership. Um, and the fa- the very fact that they've got the old Kazdan at the centre of this thing feels like you know a very sort of cautious and conservative choice. Where it's an attempt to kind of recapture the magic of the originals just by having the dude uh, who worked on them. And it doesn't feel like they had any particular ideas to bring to the table. And maybe the the um, the Star Wars people were angry that Lord and Miller were doing too much like improv and ruining the script or something but it's it's not clear why that would have like been a problem
0: isn't the fam- like the best Han Solo line is famously an ad-lib
1: exactly <laughs> that's a re- that's a that's a good point with a really shitty cool sort of forwards or backwards whatever. yeah that's the yeah that's the thing, thing that one. was
0: annoying about it was like so many cool forwards cool max, whatever depending on where you are in the time streams but also it I think this was planned to be the fir- first part of a trilogy so setting so up setting up a bunch of stuff as well so it's like, between the setting up the sequel and the calling to the original, there's very little space for the movie to do anything new. And I did enjoy uh, Donald Glover. I thought he was really good as Lando Calrissian. And I find the whole Han Solo Chewbacca thing, like, constantly endearing. I just the whole thing about, you know, it's just the guy who's a bit emotionally closed off and his best friend is obviously a giant dog. I mean who can't relate to that exactly
1: yeah because he's this like criminal space rogue or whatever and it's going to be this kind of like space gangster heist film it automatically shunters it onto a different kind of path and tone as like a general star wars movie but then because it has to tick off all of these boxes about his history and then requires all these things to happen that just remind you of the original star wars movie so all this sort of like um a millennium falcon and chewbacca stuff is obviously going to resemble the uh the, the latest star wars fi- or the earlier star wars films or whatever um just with a younger cast um so it doesn't leave it that much room to be its own thing i think because every time like you know he's up in the falcon or he's chatting to chewie it's just like hey it's the guy who's like he's the same as he will be in the future and the the what i thought afterwards in the kind of like here's how i would have done it if i was writing this film the better creative person um is that the way that like the opening sets him up as this kind of dreamer who's like stuck on this shitty planet and wants to see bigger things. He wants to explore the universe that that sounded like, you know, potentially fun direction f- to for, like the movie, the whole movie. Like, why is that the intro? I kind yeah, of would yeah. have watched a film that was like this kind of uh, roguish adventure story set on one planet. You know, it can still be spectacular. It doesn't have to be on a million planets. Why can't yeah, you just yeah. have like one planet that has more than one kind of environment, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, he-
0: Movie on Earth. <laughs> <sucks>. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. And the um uh the opening text of the movie sets up like this character called Lady Proxima. It's like he lives in Corellia with the foul Lady Proxima rules or something. So I thought that was gonna be a big part of the movie, but it's not at all. It's like a com- it's a character who has one scene, it's this weird like giant insect who lives in the sewers and is a kind of gang, you know, rules a gang or something. But anyway, this kind of like fun like guy on the mean streets of Corelia I th- like that could have been a very different feeling thing you know whereas this kind of bundle of different planets and kind of you know hopping about in the millennium falcon feels familiar so it's yeah, yeah it's and i also of...
0: think yeah it, it doesn't uh visually just dis- distinguish between the planets very well i don't know if that's part of the reshoots but it's like there's, like, a sort of gangster party, and then there's, like, Lando's gambling den, and, like, there's another Lando gambling den, and then, like... Yeah, yeah. There's the sewers of the place, but there's, like, the mine place, but the mine place is exa- identical to the sewers. I know it's just the one set with different, like, stuff <laughs> it. <in.
1: laughs> That's true. That's a good point.
0: Um, but, yeah, it doesn't have quite have that expanse that Rogue One had.
1: What do you think of Alden Ehrenreicher's Han Solo? I thought
0: he was okay. Um, but I don't know if, like, you know, it's just an impossible task, and you're never going to find anyone... I felt like he was quite smart the way he played it. I yeah. I thought he did a, enough of like he did enough of the pointing and the Harrison Ford stuff and so enough of his own thing.
1: But yeah, he doesn't have that,
0: you know. He doesn't well, have this. It the, doesn't, the he's screen. not Harrison Ford, you know. Harrison yeah, Ford yeah. is
1: like a born movie star. I think that is the main problem. I thought I that it was a yeah, definitely kind of passable performance, but he doesn't have any kind of magnetic screen presence in the same way that Harrison Ford does. Yeah so it, I think it ends up adding to the flatness a bit or maybe it's just that he couldn't overcome
0: but also like his function like Harrison Ford's performance in the Star Wars movie is so, or someone who's like not taking it that seriously like he's so good as a supporting character because the rest of the movie is very sincere and then like I think like A New Hope is about to sort of topple into his own ridiculousness and Harrison Ford toes up and he's like hey hey this guy the sort of dude sort of you know from the bar yeah 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 but when he's the lead he can't really have that kind of function in the story so in that way he's a bit shackled
1: yeah i agree so it's a bit of a shame
0: yeah
1: i think like i mean obviously it's always a what if you never know whether it would have been better with the other directors but i can kind of imagine the version that i have in my head of what the lord and miller version would have been uh is that it kind of would have had a lot of the same problems because they were still working from the same script so it would have had the same kind of like story but it would have been filled with like the ridiculous humor that is their trademark yeah. and therefore would have automatically been more entertaining. And if I walked out of it thinking, like, that was kind of disposable and pointless, but I laughed my ass off in the same way that I felt coming out of Thor Ragnarok, yeah, yeah, yeah. then, uh, you know, that would have made for a better film. It does have one of the most, like, baffling, like, character cameos I've seen <laughs> in, in a while. Like, right at the end of the movie, some someone turns up from the rest of the Star Wars universe. I guess I won't spoil it, but it is like, why? It just makes no sense. It's not explained and you have to have read some Star it's, Wars extended universe yeah. book to know what the fuck is going on, and it's, it's just, like, ridiculous.
0: It's almost better now that there definitely probably won't be a sequel. Yeah, it
1: is actually much better, because Cause this character turns up, it, there's no there's no context given for it whatsoever, and uh, it's obviously supposed to be significant, but it just seems completely arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's, you know, then the movie ends, like, trying to set up a sequel. It's like... No, no. No, no, a Star Wars story. <laughs>
0: It blows, it does.
1: <laughs> Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone a friend so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough now, back to film chat.
0: I saw another good, important movie, which is good and uh, very good. It's called The Breadwinner. It is directed by Nora Twomey and written by Anita Doran and Deborah Ellis, based on the book of the same name by Deborah Ellis. And it's about a young girl called uh, Pawana who lives in Kabul in Afghanistan under the control of the Taliban. I believe it's set in sort of early noughties. And her father, uh, Nurala, who is a teacher and has been left impaired... Uh, during the Soviet-Afghan war um, has become a sort of uh, salesman sort of selling his family wares to try and earn money and early on in the movie after he has a disagreement with this sort of young Baland Taliban guy he gets arrested and as a result the family are in dire straits because um, the older brother has died previous to the start of the movie and so the household is just one little kid and women and women aren't allowed to be accompanied without a man and so they can't buy food or do anything like that. And so to secure food, uh, Pawana cuts her hair and dresses like a boy. And the film is all about her trying to get her dad back and experience life, what it's like to be a male. And interweaved with this is her telling a story to her friends and her younger brother about a young, heroic, mythic knight and has journeyed to retrieve some stolen seeds from an elephant king. Like a cool fairy tale interweaved with the horrific realities of living under the taliban and here's a clip of her chatting with another friend who's also a girl pretending to be a boy
1: what are you waiting for it's either ours or they might see it i need to find a way to see my baba you can have mine if you like i don't want him my father was taken to prison, and we've heard nothing of him since. They won't let you see him, Parwana. But I'm a boy now. It doesn't make a difference. They'll keep him or let him go, but there's nothing you can do about it. You don't know that. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is.
0: What a charming clip. So I uh, saw this movie, not knowing anything about it, and I thought it was amazing. I thought it was brilliant. One of the best films I've seen this year. Cool. Stop listening now and go watch it. Um, the animation is really stunning And I think even if the story was total shit It would still be worth seeing Because it's so beautifully rendered And there's a really cool uh, collision of styles In that the story of a story, has got this kind of picture book Stop motion animation And the sort of quote unquote real scenes Are equally beautiful in their own way But a bit more realistic And yeah, it's kind of One of the joys of watching animated films That are really good is like this must have taken forever to do and it's not like every scene is... There's a lot of dialogue scenes of them just, like, sitting around a house. But somehow those are very, very good. I don't know how it's done. It Seems like a lot of effort went into it.
1: The magic of cinema.
0: Wow. How do they do this? And it's quite a familiar sort of premise, in a way. The whole idea of a kid in a sort of horrible reality and escaping into a fairy tale will obviously remind you of Pan's Labyrinth and The Fool and... Uh, A monster calls... I don't know what the first version of this story is, but it feels like it's been done loads and loads of times. And I think probably the best thing you can say about this movie is that it kind of stands on its own, and it's its own kind of thing, even though it will superficially remind you of those other films. And it does a remarkable job of somehow not being too graphic or miserable, but not pulling its punches. Um, And there's a lot of horrific real stuff in the movie, but it never feels gratuitous. And because it's animation and kind of aimed at a younger audience, there's obviously stuff it can't show, but it kind of doesn't airbrush things anyway. It sort of alludes to stuff. And it's a real tonal tightrope of sort of family drama about uh, ingrained misogyny, the war, fairy tales, what it's like to be a guy. It's got a million things going on. It's only 90 minutes long. And I was like, this is a damn well-written good movie. It's a damn well-written good movie. It's like a this damn sentence. well-written good movie. <laughs> And the structure of the story within the story is kind of key to the film working because uh, it acts as a nice kind of reprieve from the main bulk of the action. And there's something, it's, it's a very tense watch because when she's like dressed as a boy, you're like constantly worried she's going to be found out and have some sort of horrific fate before her. And so when it goes back, goes into these fairy tale sequences, it's like, oh, okay, brief for a little bit. It's just yeah, a stop motion yeah, yeah. thing. And it also, it, it kind of successfully makes her more endearing because like the people enjoy the stories within the movie like you're enjoying it like it's a reprieve for them as well yeah so it kind of puts you in the headspace of the characters and the film as uh, corny as this sounds is kind of about the power of stories and it's kind of making the point that like hope and imagination are kind of the same things like the ability to hope is just to imagine a scenario better than it is and there's a kind of theme in the movie that everyone's a bit kind of broken and a bit beaten down, and it's very nuanced about even the quote-unquote villains have a lot of sort of backstory to them, and that's what makes the main character so endearing in that she's still kind of a kid and can imagine a better life and won't, uh, even though the reality seems grim, won't just cave to it. And, I mean, I cannot be not charmed by plucky kids in movies. Absolutely.
1: And she's a
0: plucky kid, and I was rooting for her from, like, fucking frame one. I was like... It's my
1: greatest, it's my greatest weakness. <laughs> um, well, then... This film will this kill film me. This film will kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I really liked how culturally specific the movie was as well. And the book was based on interviews of real Afghani women and children. And I think that shows. And the film is full of, like, little details. Um, just, like, there's loads of scenes of them just eating rice. Which, I was like, this is not something you see in an animation film. Didn't have this in Coco, just people eating rice and talking about their day. But I was, like, great. Yeah. I love it. I've never seen a movie about what it's like to live under the Taliban. And now I'm getting this, plus a whole Elephant King story at the same time. Yeah. I
1: mean, that did sound a bit like... Uh, <laughs> well, wow, they really did their research on Mulan. Like, <laughs> the characters are always eating rice. It's like this... <laughs> okay, that probably wasn't the best example, but... It's, I just mean, it's in the, in the way I they, don't do that.
0: They prepare dishes and they all sit around the circle and yeah, eat, yeah. And I don't know. It's just
1: no, no. I, I, it, I know, I know what you mean. It
0: obviously, yeah. you know, this it, is an Irish production. And it's the same people who did Book of Kells and Sea of Songs, and like the author of the book is uh, Irish. So was, you know, I'm a bit like this sort of Disney thing. It's like we've run out of Western st- storytellers, So like uh, Aladdin or something, and it's like they obviously didn't. It's like Aladdin's got nothing to do with the Middle East whatsoever. Right. Exactly. But yeah. This one is you know researched or feels that way uh, definitely and uh it basically has it, it all works brilliantly well and then it really sticks to landing and then in uh, the final act it's like there's sort of three things going on there's a sort of fairy tale plot is resolving while the real world plot is resolving but with like a bunch of characters all the arcs are either uh resolved or like changing uh, kind of mysteries are being revealed and it's this real like You're Watching this masterful magic trick being pulled off, it's like okay, they knew exactly what we're doing. It's like they thought of the ending first and reverse engineered it back. And uh, yeah, I was fucking crying, (laughs) laughing. No, I wasn't laughing, (laughs) nor the end, there's no laughter. I was incredibly emotionally involved with it, and uh, I was just like, that is a brilliant film. I was, yeah, that sounds good,
1: that sounds excellent.
0: You gotta go see it, it's a real, it's a real,
1: yeah, winner. Sounds like it's gonna do a number on me, to be honest with you. Yeah. The description you've given here.
0: Yeah, but it's uh it's great. You got to you got to see it. One of my films of the year.
1: I will I'll take my big box tissues in yeah. And my my big boy pants <laughs> and a big old blanket and I'll curl up get ready for that.
0: <laughs> it's like yeah, it's not a grueling watch. It's very enthralling. Part of it's the animation. I feel like in a way like if it was a live action film like the ferrito element and the animation and the kids, yeah. like, are a good entry point of this kind of story. It, like, makes that, all that kind of stuff very palatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's only 90 minutes. And it really, like, whips along. So you just, you know, sit down and be transported to the, you know, the power of movies. Sounds
1: like a winner. Oh, hey. Hey. My favourite film star Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. I'm looking at Twitter right now. Taika Waititi has been filming his movie Jojo Rabbit for a week now. He's a week into production. This is the, like, odd movie about Hitler or something. Um, And he has tweeted, Week one down of our anti-fuckface satire, Jojo Rabbit. Can't wait to share it with the world. Also, what better way to insult Hitler than having him portrayed by a Polynesian Jew? And then he's got the middle finger emoji. Hashtag, fuck you, shitler. Um, and the picture is him standing in front of a portrait of Hitler, and he's kind of looking at the camera, and he's giving his middle finger to, to the portrait of Hitler behind him. What? So it's a strong anti-Hitler film this is going to be. Cool. Uh, do you think that his describing it as an anti-fuckface satire will maybe mean it's going to have some Trump some Trump in there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're going to
1: give Hitler a different Like no moustache and a different haircut we, need,
0: man. we just needed one film to, like, really One film it. to take him down One film to bring them all <laughs> <laughs> um, And In the darkness buying them
1: Yeah I just thought this was a bit of an odd The tone of this is a is bit it odd How many uh, likes
0: and retweets has it got
1: I'll tell you it has 184 retweets As of this moment And 900 likes and 28 replies
0: How recent is this tweet
1: It is 7 minutes old So I think it's going to do well Fuck yeah. you shitler.
0: I could be a, you know, this is.
1: You could write that tweet if you were making a film and you're a famous director.
0: Yeah, exactly. <coughs>
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: I'm, I, I hate that kind of stuff. This virtue signalling kind of tweets to be honest with you, just annoys me. I know he's making an entire film about it, but I'm anti Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think Trump's stupid, and everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, fucking Mark Kamara's is always tweeting about.
1: He's always tweeting about Trump.
0: I mean, like there was. A, i don't know I, I lose track of whatever stupid thing he said and he's like believe it or not this isn't something written by a toddler but the president and it's like we all read the fucking papers mark Every, we'll, everyone is aware that trump aware. is a fucking idiot and then like you know uh oh, four billion retweets. and i like, oh, fuck off i think people who like complain about trump are worse than trump <laughs> that's my new <laughs> hardline opinion yeah. I feel like you're just contributing to the problem. Anyone who just, like, complains or tweets or just, you know, anything about I'm just like, ugh.
1: But think about the banter online when, you know, Trump launches the first nuclear war or something like that.
0: No, I mean the banter's
1: going to be they, he's, gonna, he's probably going to do a spelling mistake in his tweet announcing the end of the world, and he's going to get absolutely rinsed for it. Yeah. By Kermade. Anyway. <laughs> it's been a bit low on content this week, listeners. Well, we had those two reviews. Other yeah. than that, nothing much is happening in the news. But what you're going to do is... Uh, you, you've got a weekly podcast, you' got to put it out every week. What are you gonna do? Skip a week? hey, we can do man stick skip a week What are you going to do can't do that. can't do that. can't do that
0: but join us next week we're gonna we don't know what's happening, but it'll be another episode yeah could could, you, could
1: could there could be a lot of going on there. It could be another sort of one where we just stay on much the same we just sort of ramble on, yeah. You don't, you don't know. Do that's the, that's the fun of it. Do you want to see
0: Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? I know we start Is we started the episode out? out? Saying how it was going to look shit, but...
1: Yeah, man. Of course I do. I had so much fun tearing into Solo, tearing strips off that fucking garbage. Yeah. And, and now I'm going to do that with Jurassic World. Do you
0: think Chris Pratt's had Botox? His, his forehead's looking very shiny and flat these days, I've noticed. I've
1: I think noticed he's just that. wearing a muscle, muscle suit. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about him has become fake.
0: Fake fake actor <laughs> oh no I had a Trump impression well I've become the very thing I hate
1: <laughs> alright So we'll leave Danny to wrestle with his inner demons <laughs> and uh, I will go now I'm going to dinner this evening I'm going to a murder mystery dinner party I'm looking forward to that I need to press my trousers and iron my shirt get my get all my shit ready for me. so um, thanks for joining us see you next time Bye-bye. bye bye I thought this movie was, uh, was fun. I thought it had nothing to do with Han Solo, kind of. Um, it had a lot of references to Han Solo. It was sort of a giant reference to Han Solo. So let's start off with the fact that Force Awakens are hot, flaming garbage, and they are flaming garbage. I said this after Force Awakens came out. It murdered my childhood because Han Solo was the coolest character in the original series. And then they killed him for no reason at all. They brought him back just to kill him because Harrison Ford said he wanted to be killed off. So stupid. So dumb. If you're gonna do nostalgia play, what you do is you have everybody have kids, and then you have everybody retire off into the distance, and that's it. Okay, what you don't do is kill off the loved characters by making them divorce, loser fathers, who are flying around in their 67 Durango, you know, and then they come back and get murdered by their kids. That's so dumb. Han Solo is the coolest guy in the galaxy, and you turn him into the guy who abandoned his kid when his kid was like 11, and then he runs around being alien. like, it's just, it's, it's, it's so stupid.